we don't create opportunities for girls as much as for boys too. And I know a lot of you, like we talked about Ashley with Soul Girls earlier, there are a lot of amazing programs around for girls. And of course there are, right? But the resources at the college level, at the high school level, it's just not quite the same. And I think we like absorb these kind, this kind of information mm-hmm. culturally. That's why we talk about creating an empowering culture because I think it's that, it's that culture piece that we need to change. Like the things that we take for granted yeah. should shift. We should take for granted that girls should be included at every level. Hey, it's your host, Brittany, and welcome to the Mom Sweat Sanity Podcast, where we talk all things life, health, fitness, kids, relationships, you name it, nothing is off the table. A little bit of just me and a whole lot of knowledgeable guests. So throw on your Lulus to run or to mom, grab yourself a cup of coffee or a glass of wine, and join us as we unpack life's pressing topics and learn a little bit more of the who, what, whys of it all. Or at the very least, get real, share some wisdom, and grab practical tips to help in our daily lives. Hey everyone, thanks so much for tuning in today. Today I got to sit down with Sarah Gross. Sarah is the founder in chief over at Feisty Media, and they are soon hosting the virtual Feisty Women's Performance Summit. But that's not all for this girl. She holds her PhD and she has also crossed that finish line over at Ironman first, Ironman champion. Tune in today. We had a fun conversation. I'm super excited to uh, yeah dive into all the things. I mean, Feisty, Ironman, the summit, everything that you're all about here. So maybe if you can just introduce yourself a little bit, give us a bit of a who you are and what you're all about. Sure. So I'm Sarah Gross. My background kind of twofold. So I came from academia. I studied women's history to the PhD level. And then I took a hard turn and became a pro athlete in my mid twenties. I was a professional Ironman athlete for 14 years. Um, 14. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It seems like a long time. And I won a couple races along the way, a couple Ironmans. And then after I retired, I started, started, sorry, Feisty Media. And we, our goal is to create an empowering culture for active women. So here we are. (laughs) Amazing. That's such a great goal. And just, I know, you know, back when races were going crazy and hopefully we get there again, I loved following along on the feisty platform with all your interviews that you were, you know, conducting and everything. Like at the Ironman races. Oh yeah. yeah, That was so fun. I'm hoping we had big plans to go back to Kona to the Ironman world championships last year because we thought it was going to happen. And I had literally booked like a place for the whole team. We were going to do this huge thing. And then we had to cancel it of course again so this, this year, year hopefully, right? yeah fingers crossed for us yeah <laughs> oh awesome and racing and everything so now you're on to women's more platform and focusing there so mm-hmm. that's so inspiring and I think that it's something that we take kind of for granted in a way like for some reason women just aren't out there as much in terms of research and what we need. And it's always so focused on the male athletes. So Mm -hmm. where did you kind of land into this role and position? Yeah, it's interesting. You know, if you look at it historically, it kind of makes sense that like sport was kind of created for by men for men, like in the ancient world. I mean, that's kind of Mm -hmm. the, that's the time period that I studied, you know, that's just a complete coincidence because I did not study like the history of the Olympics or anything like that. But I did take some time to read those texts, you know, about the original Olympic games, you know, essentially like women would be thrown out of the arena just for coming to try to spectate, say if a mother had a 
son competing or whatever, they couldn't even attend. So that's kind of like where we came from. So it's no surprise now that we have an entire industry of sport that is essentially based around like men's pro sport. For the most part, there's, I mean, there's obviously a lot of great women's sport where, you know, we've been watching the Olympic games probably here. And like, we see a lot of women doing amazing things, of course, but in terms of those like multi-million dollar contracts, they're usually still a man's domain, unfortunately. So yeah, yeah, it would be nice to see more opportunities like across the whole pillar, like from pro sports right the way down. We still know that like girls drop out of sport twice the rate of boys. So, wow. Is that true? That's mm-hmm. crazy. And, and there's sad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And there's still stats, like there's stats coming out of the pandemic now that are showing that like 25% of girls that were in sport before COVID are not likely to go back. Whereas the stats for boys is only 10%. So it's, there's some and layer, where do you a layer think problem. Stem, yeah, exactly. Layer And like, where do you think that could possibly stem from? Is that like from a, like a mental health side of things, or is that just more like the platform that we see is still primarily male dominant versus female, you know, like we need more girl power. We do. <laughs> girls yes. can't do, yeah, I have two daughters. I don't want them to, you know, think that that I want them to think that they're capable of doing anything and, mm-hmm. you know, moving their body is not only good physically, but also for their mental health. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't really know specifically why coming out of the pandemic, we're seeing those numbers. Like, I think that's, it's unfortunate, but it is aligned with like with the other numbers in terms of how we see girls and boys in sport. I think to answer your question, it's multi-layered, right? So I think like I talked about pro sports a minute ago, like I think by the time girls are very young, by the time they're four years old, they've probably already seen internalized this idea that like pro sports are for men because that's what they see on TV, except Mm -hmm. like I said, the Olympic games. Also, I think that we like, yeah, there's like, we don't create opportunities for girls as much as for boys too. And I know a lot of you, like we talked about Ashley with Soul Girls earlier, there are a lot of amazing programs around for girls. And of course there are, right? But the resources at the college level, at the high school level, it's just not quite the same. And I think we like absorb these kind, this kind of information mm-hmm. culturally. That's why we talk about creating an empowering culture because I think it's that, it's that culture piece that we need to change. Like the things that we take for granted should shift. We should take for granted that girls should be included at every level. Yeah, that's so true. That's so true. And cultural, like a community around it really kind of, you know, starting a bit of like that movement forward absolutely Mm -hmm. needs to happen more. Mm -hmm. Um, So where did feisty really come once you finished school and then your professional sport, Ironman and triathlon, where did feisty kind of come out of that? And where do you see it growing? Yeah. So we, in about 2015, I was part of a group that advocated for equal spots for the pro women at Ironman world championships in Kona. Cause at the time we only got 35 slots and the men got 50. Oh yeah. And the, I dealt with a lot of journalists and press at that time, even outside our triathlon sphere. And I kind of thought, wow, look at the difference that someone can make in terms of what story they decide to tell or what they decide to write about or talk about on a podcast, you know? And so I thought, okay, I'd really like to work in media or journalism. Started to go down that track. And I did an internship for a year for another women in sport media company. 
and realized that it was going to be really, really hard to monetize a media startup because mm-hmm. how do you make money on that? Like, <laughs> you have a great idea, but where does that, yeah, where does yeah. it all fall through? <laughs> like, exactly. And I was watching, this is like funny, but I was like watching another group of people do that and realizing that I didn't think they were going to be successful. Right. And I thought, okay, if I'm going to put the effort into, like monetizing a media project. I want it to be my media project. <laughs> and so, cause I knew it was going to be really, really hard. Right. And I thought like, I felt like I wanted to have some ownership on that. And so that's when I started Feisty Media and we launched with, we had two podcasts. One was Iron Women, which is where we interviewed the pro women and who do Iron Man. That was obviously my world. And then if we were riding, which is just a couple of girlfriends talking to each other as if they were riding bikes together. And then we expanded from there. So now we have Feisty Menopause, which is a massively popular brand because active women in menopause previously had no source of information. So mm-hmm. Celine Yago, who leads that brand, she's been a career fitness journalist and she creates amazing content every week. And then recently our women's performance brand, of course. And now I'm hosting the women's performance podcast too, where we talk about, basically we talk about finding the right information for active women who want to thrive throughout their lifetime. So that's kind of how we've expanded out. And we've along the way created a number of events and membership groups and yeah, just figuring it out, you know? Absolutely. Well, that's a lot of branches to just be figuring out. So you're, <laughs> yeah. you're doing something right. <laughs> Five years is a long time. Like. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, and I've listened to most of those platforms recently, a few of the Iron Woman and whatnot. Yeah so inspiring. And I, I love listening to, you know, other females perspectives and journeys. And I myself am active and love training. And so it's so interesting, you know, just everyone's different perspectives and what we should be doing. And the more female data that gets out there and is talked about and is shared, it will only do better for all of us. Yeah, totally. And I think people don't really realize how much women are ignored in research right? Like Mm -hmm. whether that's from exercise science, which only has done 6% on female specific research, just crazy, right? 6% (laughs) or even just straight up product development, like the way that our bike saddles are made or like the way that, you know, the way helmets are made, everything that like, that, you know, we don't know whether those products are designed for us. So part of what we're doing. So assume not. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. You can can pretty much assume that like, (laughs) it still drives me crazy. Like I see now that I'm attuned to it, I see it all the time. Like I saw something in a book the other day that was like the average height of a human is five foot nine. Like, no, it's not. That's the average height of a man, like of a male human. Like, like what? How? Like, yeah. That shit still happens all the time. So like knowing where people have taken us into account in their design, whether that's like a training program or a product, like that's kind of, that's kind of with women's performance, what we want to do is go, yeah, okay, where are the experts who really know something about this and bring them in? I was listening to your kind of round table there with Stacey Sims the oh, yeah. other day and how, you know, she was saying, well, you know, someone give me some millions so I can go and get the research out there. And, you know, it's just, I think we need to work on our voices and get it out there more and more so that we do get those funds to actually be able to propel this Mm -hmm. research forward, which is so important. But by 
being able to host different things also and get it out there in tidbits as many as we can, such as the summit that you're hosting. So what is this all about and what is behind the summit? Yeah, thank you for asking about the summit. Essentially, the summit's like a carry on from what I said about the podcast. So we're we're kind of vetting experts and bringing them in over a weekend, which is March 25th to 27th. It's all virtual. And so we have, basically, we have speakers and breakout sessions in our four pillars. So physiology, mental health, nutrition, and culture. And so we feel like you can't, you have to talk about all those topics together because like Mm -hmm. the way that we feel about our body affects the things that we choose to eat affects how we feel when we're working out. Like those things are not separable, you know? So, and we also have a few amazing keynotes on the main stage. So we have Amelia Boone, who's four-time obstacle course world champion. We have Alison Desir who wrote Running While Black. We have Lael Wilcox, who was the first... She won overall the Trans Am bike race. So she beat all the men. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So, yeah, yeah. I want to hear from her. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Like girl power race. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, that's oh. definitely something I'm interested in. It's like, mm-hmm. like women winning things is just, it makes my imagination go wild. And the um, like perspective, you know, how she felt after that. I mean, obviously like on a high, but like how you know, everyone around her, that would just be a different, no one would expect that so much. So Mm -hmm. just like how that actually looked, you know, from the outside looking inwards too, would be interesting. Yeah, totally. Totally. And we also have Dr. Stacey Sims, of course, on the main stage on, on Sunday too. So essentially there's about 20 speakers over the course of the weekend and you can watch like if you purchase a ticket, you can watch it, the all access ticket, you can watch it till the end of the year. So you don't have to come for the whole weekend and hang out with us. Although we're really fun to hang out with. So (laughs) we do do a good virtual summit, but we recognize that like not everyone can be kind of like watching a screen for six hours a day on the weekend. So, or wants to be, so we do keep those recordings for people too. So it's a lot of fun and I'm stoked about this year. It's last year was our first year doing it. We had 360 women there. So we're hoping to have to maybe double that this year. Amazing. Get a party going. End of March, 25th to 27th. Yeah. Okay. Well, you'll have to give us all the details and I'll be sure to post those and everything for you. Yeah. That's so exciting. So let's steer to what you briefly talked on also was Ironman and your triathlon experiences in the past. So what took you from PhD into the world of pro sport? How is that? light flipped. (laughs) Yeah. So random. Like I was on the swim team when I was in university, like when I was an undergrad. And then there was a girl on the team who was a triathlete. And I just thought this was like the coolest thing, like, because I'm turning 46 in a month. Right. So like, this was like, we didn't even know what triathlon was like, like she does three sports and one thing. And she's an elite athlete. Like what is that? That's so cool. So I volunteered at the local triathlon and I was so inspired. And then the next year I signed up for it. And then I left Canada and went to Scotland to do my PhD. And kind of when I left, you know, when you like move to a new place, you get this restart. I was like, okay, I'm going to start training for triathlon. No one one knows or expects anything of you. Clean slate. (laughs) Exactly. So like, I'm going to be a triathlete now. (laughs) You know. So I went, signed up for the university triathlon team. And then sort of because I think because Scotland's so small, Like here in Canada, we had, especially at the time, we had some of the best triathletes in the world, right? Like if I went to a local race, I would just be in the middle. Yes. Yeah. But in Scotland, smaller place, triathlon was still a small sport. So 
I kind of was able to say like big fish, small pond kind of situation, like where I was like, Oh, I'm actually good at this. And I don't think I would have had that experience in Canada. So I had a little bit of that and then, yeah. And then I just decided I was going to try to train hard and see how good I could be. And it went from there. And you train hard and became very good. (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing. So you, as you mentioned, a few Ironman championships under your belt Mm -hmm. and 13 years of pro. Is that correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 That's Mm -hmm. an amazing career. And at the end of that, what was your end decision to kind of step away from that side of things? Yeah. You know, it's interesting because it took me, I don't know, it took me 10 years or so to win Ironman. Like, so Mm -hmm. from the first time I started to have at the beginning, you sometimes have like quick success. I find this is true in life. Sometimes in general, like if you're good at something and you have a little bit of talent, you have quick success, then it gets really hard for a while to actually get to that next level. Right. And so that was just totally my triathlon career. So I won a European championships when I was racing for Great Britain. And I thought, okay, I can win Ironman like next three years, I remember sitting down with like the sports psychologist that we were working with and yeah. had this three year within three year plan. Anyway, 10 years later, <laughs> actually after like I came second and third and fourth, like so many times. And it was just enough to keep me going. It's like, yeah. if you came second, you're like, that was a roll of the dice. Like on a different day, I might've won or if so-and-so wasn't there, I might've won, whatever. So yeah, eventually I did win one <laughs> after those 10 years. And then I won again a few months later. And then I sort of, I was 38 years old at that point. I kind of started to run out of steam a little bit, mm-hmm. even though I then had like the biggest contracts that I'd ever had in my career because I had had that success. So I kind of just like continued to race for another, I'd say two years after that. And then, and then I was kind of done. Yeah. Well, and I think that like, as you're saying, that pertains to life and sport and you can kind of put it into anything that instant gratification, right. is probably what like kind of like hooks you into it, Mm -hmm. but then there is work that is involved. And as we develop, we want to get better at whatever that may be. And so maybe some expectation on self also kind of starts to put the pressure on it. (laughs) Oh, totally. Yeah, Yeah, totally. And also like that, you know, it's really hard. Like, it's a weird thing to be like, oh, I'm going to this race to win. And then being like disappointed because you come second, right? Like always keeping that perspective that like, okay, there's like, I don't know, like several hundred women at this race who would love to come second. But at the same time, like when you see that potential in yourself, it can be disappointing. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Are you competing at all any longer? That's in the past. Or do you still have a passion for, you know, activity and moving your body in crazy endurance ways? Yeah, no crazy endurance ways. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I I took all of my competitive energy and like channeled it into my business. Yes. You know, so now I still like, I kind of, I still need exercise. I have that little piece of like Mm -hmm. addiction and I know how good you can feel with it. So I can't give that up in my life. So luckily I found CrossFit where I can go and go hard for like, you know, the whole thing is wrapped up in 45 minutes and I'm I'm out the door. So I really like that. And it helps with my time crunch of like being and a, lifting you know, heavy shit is and lifting heavy shit. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so it, it checks all the boxes, you know? So do you find from your past experience and now with the speakers that you have and everything that you're involved in, like, are you able to draw on past experiences in terms of, you know, 
can you look back and say, oh, I was totally in burnout there. Or <laughs> if I knew now, or if I knew then what I now know from, you know, Dr. Stacy Sims or the tidbits that we're learning along the way, could you have seen different things playing out differently? Or yeah, like, did you ever experience the burnouts? Yeah. I'm just like nodding wildly. Like, yeah, <laughs> you're like, that is like, yes, yes. And yes. Like, I think there were so many things at some point I should just write a big list of all the things that would have been different for me if I had had better information. So like we knew, for example, I knew that there were a couple of days in my luteal phase, like right before my period where my body was flat and I could not perform. And I knew that I had talked to other pro athletes about it, but there was not like, it wasn't something we took into account in the way that we created our training plans or our racing plans. And it wasn't something that anybody ever said, well, wait, is there something we can do to actually perform in those days? Like what might there be something we could do nutritionally or like no one ever asked that, right? Like we didn't even talk to our coaches about it. No, right. Totally. Like, that's a real simple one. A lot of women have a time a day or two around when they ovulate as well. That's bad. Like I remember there being some focus on like, like if you're actually having your period, like what you, I'm like, listen, the bleeding is not, <laughs> bleeding is not the problem. It's like when my body hormonally will not perform, like I'm screwed. I can't, <laughs> I can't do anything. Totally. Um, so like, we didn't think to ask those questions. I also, you know, like talking about the four pillars, like that's a physiology one and that might cross over into nutrition. But I had other experiences with coaches. I know a lot of people have like coaches commenting on your body or asking you to lose weight that like we now know that is just terrible for girls, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And then I also like, I had undiagnosed celiac disease for like half of my career and probably before that as well. Oh, and so I was like, I had trouble like calories in calories out, like didn't really work for me. Like my body was doing weird things at weird times. Sometimes I was skinny. Sometimes I was like almost puffy and like holding water and carbs. Yeah. And, yep. and like, it didn't make any sense. And so my coach at the time thought, I think he thought that I had some kind of eating disorder, like where I was like going between like binge eating bulimia, yes, something like yeah. this. Like, and he assumed that, like, I think there's like that assumption. It's a bit gendered, you know, and that wasn't the case at all. Like I'd actually, and like nothing, like I know that a lot of people really struggle with that stuff, but that, like, that just wasn't me at that time. And I like, I wish someone had been there to say like, Hey, this doesn't make sense. Like what you're experiencing, if something doesn't make sense here, let's figure it out mm -hmm. instead of like straight to the eating disorder assumption, you know, I'm like, absolutely. What? Like, and you're right. So. That is so gendered too, right? Like mm -hmm. just an assumption there. And, and I'm not saying, I'm not asking you to go like, Oh, what if like, let's change everything, but just like to like recognize, you know, how little we really actually do know and how fortunate we are to know just a little bit more, but there's so much to like unleash and learn throughout um, women and sport and movement and, you know, consumption and what we need to do to actually better ourselves. And so I think it's, you know, all the power to you to be able to have this platform and use feisty and get as many women out there talking and using their, you know, their knowledge to teach us all. <laughs> 
you know, I'm not asking you to go back into the like, what ifs as a negative, just more so, you know, how much we've learned and how much more there is to learn and being able to share the platform and utilize your platform to Mm -hmm. bring all these women together to continue to teach and get the word out there so that we can all continue to learn Mm -hmm. is just, yeah, such an amazing thing that you're offering and doing. And I think I find it very exciting because the fact that, first of all, like a lot of women do really well in sport and a lot of us are having a really great experience and, and enjoying our active lives already, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. So like the idea that we can actually be better, learn more, that like that women might be capable of more than we think that we are now, even like at the top level, but even for us, you know, even for us, well, I should speak for myself, for aging athletes. Um, <laughs> yes, <laughs> me too, don't worry. <laughs> I think it's like, it's just super exciting, you know? So that's like, I'm kind of excited about the future and to to try to figure out like, okay, how good can we be as women? Yeah, absolutely. And not feel like we're just drained and malnourished and, you know, underfed all the time. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Right. Oh, seriously. So question, where do you see one of the biggest maybe misses for females in sport? Do you see something that's constantly coming up the same? Yeah. You know, I think that the one strand that I see coming through is that is how many of us struggled with like issues around food, eating disorders, this constant messaging that we're supposed to look a certain way or be lean. Like that's a very, to me, that's a very male lens. Like mm-hmm. if we're not as lean as the men, like somehow we're not going to perform as well or whatever, but actually like our bodies have, will have a set amount of body fat percentage where we'll perform our best. And like, actually we feel really good at that weight. This is for anybody, like whether you're mm-hmm. running a 5k or you're an elite athlete, like we're going to perform best at that weight. So like figuring that out mm-hmm. is way more important than like actually trying to be extra lean. And that's just, I see that like in every sport, right. And how that connects across like the, we talked about the four pillars, but it connects across the four pillars, like how we, and diet culture too, which I talked about in one of our women's performance episodes, like how we receive this messaging that we're supposed to be smaller somehow and eat less. And like, let's just eat so that our bodies, so that we can live well so that we can feel strong and good and do the things that we love you know like that's what I want and that's something I see like almost everyone connects immediately to something in that realm when we talk about it I totally agree I think that it's something that is you know consciously we can all say like you know you want to be better at that or get over that or no it's not an issue with me or like whatever but i think at some point you know through life mm-hmm. most women have experienced negative relationships surrounding food or their body especially women in sport you know you go into well you were in a pool in triathlon you know i'm in a pool or bathing suit and some days doesn't feel that great. And it's like, well, why should today feel any other day if it's, it's in my head? Mm -hmm. Exactly. And I, you know, that's why when I was telling the story about the undiagnosed celiac disease, like I don't want to distance myself from that because I also would have had, I also definitely had issues around food in terms of being really conscious about it, having been told all the time, I'm supposed to be restricting my food instead of eating to perform. And then even as a teenager, I had like, I never would have called it an eating disorder, but I definitely had like disordered eating. Like yep. where I trying to control my environment, controlling my portions, controlling the number of fat. Then we thought like that fat was bad. So it was like carbs and 
carbs and protein with things that yeah. I had to the eat low yeast. fat stage. Yeah, the low fat. <laughs> yes. <crap>. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I don't want to distance myself from that because it's definitely affected me as well. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. But I think, you know, the more that is talked about and just like everything that we've been speaking about, the more that it is, it's more that it's shared and out there, then the more we can all kind of, you know, feel aligned and realize that we all have similar struggles and mm-hmm. how do we step into the next, you know, the next stage with more knowledge. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So speaking of next stage, what's up on your podcast? What can we look forward to hearing coming up over on Feisty? Well, let's see. Well, besides the performance summit. Yes. A big um, one. The big one. Yeah. On my podcast, I'm hoping to bring in some experts in certain spaces. So I want to bring in someone who's an expert in like maternity and postpartum. Also, I'm looking for a sex expert to talk about like sex pleasure. (laughs) Yes. Like all of those things. And I think that's a really important part of of like us thriving too, um, understanding our own pleasure. So that's really important to me. This year, Feisty launched our first like actual sports event. Like all of our other events are educational, right? Mm -hmm. And so we launched a gravel festival women's gravel festival it's in april in bentonville did um, you really oh that's so mm-hmm. gravel is just like blowing up gravel is blowing up yes yeah yes oh. so yeah my colleague Catherine, she recognized very quickly that like there was no one again per usual especially like cycling right <laughs> it's pretty yeah it's pretty bad there was no one actually talking to women about gravel cycling it was mm-hmm. just it was and so she recognized that and just and created the Girls Gone Gravel podcast and and brand on Instagram too. So we have that. And at the end of the year, we still have the Outspoken Summit, which is our women in triathlon summit. We have our feisty menopause summit too. So it's busy around here. Yeah. A great 2022. Amazing. Well, thank you for spending some time with me and giving me a little insight into all that you are busy doing. <laughs> So most importantly, where can we find you for the summit? How can we purchase tickets? And then where can we find you on Instagram? Okay. So for the summit and the podcast, go to womensperformance.com, which by the way, when we bought the URL, mensperformance.com was like cost 10 times as much as womensperformance.com. That's a, that's just a funny aside. We were like, what? Well, can you okay buy that us. too and send it to your site? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Exactly. it over. Yeah. We're using the, the default female now. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so yeah, womensperformance.com and then at feisty underscore media is where we are on Instagram. And I'm at sarah.gross on Instagram. Amazing. I will definitely have those in the show notes. And thank you for taking the time with me today, Sarah. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks, Brittany. It's been fun. Hey everyone, thanks so much for tuning in today. I hope that you guys enjoyed our conversation. And if you can go follow Sarah Gross and find out more about the upcoming Virtual Women's Performance Summit, I can't wait to listen to all of the amazing headliners that are upcoming. And I am sure that we will all walk away knowing better about women in sport. If you enjoyed today's episode, please be sure to share it. See you next week. You can find me on Instagram at MomSweatSam.com.